I'm Linda Yanta with Yanta Ranches in Rangi, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, I ran into several young Texans at last week's Commodity Classic in Orlando. And with the average age of a farmer being around 60, it's great to see young people who still are looking at a future in agriculture. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Tight supplies of feeder cattle are putting a pinch on feed yards in the Texas High Plains. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The importance of fertilizing Bermuda grass for better hay production yields. I'm Tom Nicolodia and I'll have more straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Farmers from all over the country were in Orlando last week for the Commodity Classic. It's a joint convention of the American Soybean Association, the National Corn Growers Association, the National Association of Wheat Growers, and National Sorghum Producers. With the increasing age of American farmers, it was nice to see some young people at the convention. One young Texas farmer I ran into was Hagen Hunt. He farms corn, cotton, wheat, and sorghum, along with a cattle operation near Plainview, Texas. I asked him about the challenges of being a young farmer involved in volunteer organizations like those at the Commodity Classic. It is tough when you got kiddos running around and whether you're starting a business off or taking a legacy on, you know, that your parents and grandparents built, no matter where you're at, it's going to be tough. And a lot of times it may not get easier as you get older. You know, if you want to do it, you'll do it. Is That's kind of what I always say. But I think it's just so important. You don't realize how important it is until you do get to meeting these people and realize how many people that really don't know what agriculture is, you know. In addition to young farmers like Hayden, I also ran into some Texas A&M college students at the Commodity Classic. Megan Gould is a master's degree student at A&M. We're here with the Ag and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M University, and we're here just learning about the different commodities. We spent a lot of time with corn yesterday, uh, sorghum t- today. I mean, we've met farmers from all across the country, and I mean, there's no better people to talk to than with farmers and producers. They are the backbone of the United States, of our economy, and so really learning about what they do, why is it important, what issues are they facing, and how can we, as the next generation of agriculturalists, continue to work and 
work towards those solutions and be part of those conversations. And so I think really in part, I've just learned uh, from the producers. It's the best source you have. Allie Gormley is another grad student from Madisonville, Texas. She says it was an eye-opening trip. We talked to a bunch of people at the Corn Pack yesterday. I think it's super cool to see real life applicable things that we learned in the classroom and be able to see them implement them in the real world, how they get funding, how they get people support. So those that was one meeting that I had that was super interesting. The students were accompanied by Dr. Joe Outlaw, co-director of the Agriculture and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M. Basically, these are the future of our industry, so we need to make sure and, and educate them the best we can. I do it every year with, with my current graduate students, and uh, it's, it's really been good, and, and it, it's opened their eyes a lot to what's out there for agriculture. Uh, some, some of them are looking for jobs, some of them are, are a little further away from that, but the main thing is, is, is there's a lot here, and, and for most people, they know what they know, they don't know what all the, the breadth of agriculture, and this is a really important thing to, to show them. Dr. Joe Outlaw with the Agriculture and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M. Tight supplies of feeder cattle are putting a pinch on feedlots on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Live cattle prices in the cash market ended last week at around $1.65 a pound in our region, a pretty high price historically speaking, but not high enough to assure profits for area feed yards. Brady Miller of Texas Cattle Feeders Association says, with input costs also running high, profit margins remain right around break-even on a cash basis calculation. And margins will likely remain tight throughout this year, even if live cattle prices stay strong. Even though we're going to see an average this year, a live price of $1.58 roughly is what the experts will tell you. We still got to pay attention to the input cost and what we're paying for these animals moving forward because it's going to be hard to make money. When Miller talks about feed yards needing to watch what they're paying for animals, consider this. Right now, local feed yards are spending about $1.90 a pound to purchase 750-pound feeders, about 50 cents more per pound than a year ago. And relief won't come anytime soon because feeder supplies are tight and likely will be for some time. Miller says herd rebuilding is a good ways down the road. If the drought was to end today, if all of a sudden we started getting rain and we felt like we were in good shape and the rancher felt like he could hang on to his heifers and hang on to his cows, he's not worried about feedstuffs and all of those concerns, I would tell you that we're not going to bottom out this cattle cycle until sometime in 2025. And so we got two to three years here before we actually probably going to see the bottom of the cattle cycle. And that's going to happen sometime in 2025. And that is if we say the drought was to end today. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Fertilizer costs have exploded. So is it worth the money to fertilize hay meadows this year? Tom Nicoletti checks in with our state forage specialist for an answer. As a new hay growing season is here in Texas, Producers need to know the importance of fertilizing hay fields despite the continuing higher cost of fertilizers. Dr. Larry Rudnan is State Forage Specialist Soil and Crop Science with the Texas AgriLife Extension Service. Talk about the fact that, of course, producers at this time have had to make decisions as to whether or not to fertilize their hay fields, but Bermuda grass, that must be fertilized for uh, productive hay production, correct? That's correct, and Bermuda grass, under any circumstance, needs to be fertilized. Bermuda grass was bred and selected for a response to fertilizer, and so if we don't fertilize it, then that stand starts to weaken, open up. You'll start to have a lot of other things move in there. 
there. We also know that if we don't fertilize it, it takes a whole lot more water to produce a ton of Bermuda grass hay. And so the fertilizer not only helps the grass to be able to withstand some of the effects of drought, it certainly helps it to withstand some of the disease pressure and cold tolerances increase with the right fertilizer. But yes, they need to fertilize the Bermuda grass. Any hay crop needs to be fertilized Bermuda grass under any circumstance. And when you are faced with that decision of really high fertilizer prices, and do I fertilize or not, that's a decision, of course, everyone will have to make on their own. But just realize that if you don't, then you're not going to be rewarded with the yield that you would like to get. So it's just a hard decision uh, during these circumstances with high fertilizer prices. That is State Forward Specialist Dr. Larry Redman with Texas AgriLife Extension. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We now head out to the Southern Plains to catch up with a Lubbock area farmer, Eddie Griffiths. And Eddie, since the last time we talked, you've seen some pretty serious wind out in your part of the state. Well, you know, here in West Texas, we're generally accustomed to the high winds, but they've been abnormally high, it seems like, especially the month of February going into March. And guys that had made field preparations and did not have any type of cover or maybe even had cover out there, for the most part, had a mess on their hands trying to fix the, the damage from the windstorms. 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds on a consistent basis blowing through here whenever it maintains wind speeds at, you know, at that level for eight to 10 hours, it does quite a bit of damage, soil damage to a lot of the uh, the land, the acres out here, and guys are trying to go and, and freshen that soil up and if they had a cover crop out there, just get out there and try to do something to keep it from blowing in case we see those winds come back into West Texas. It seemed like spring started incredibly early this year. Eddie, I know farmers in your area are getting ready to roll the planters this spring. So is there a lot of field prep and pre-irrigation happening right now? Well, the, the irrigation, we really started seeing that kick off this week. Once guys prepared the, those fields again, got them ready for uh, irrigation, they've turned the water on, and they're just going to have to be cognizant of the fact that if we get high winds, you know, the irrigation tends to slick it back off and going to have to run something back over to keep it from blowing. But uh, got to get some moisture in the ground because we are definitely lacking moisture. And when you see high winds like that, it, it sucks it right out of the ground. Well, I know some of those windstorms did some serious damage to winter wheat in many areas out your way. How's the wheat crop looking there around Lubbock? Well, you know, the wheat that didn't blow out still seems to be holding in there. It was just a matter of when producers got it planted and, and got it established. You know, it was able to maintain through the winter months and the dry land portions were able to somehow make it. I'm still trying to figure out what moisture is available for that crop to keep surviving, but if they got it planted, early enough and got a a good stand established they're able to have a cover crop out there to uh, plant something into it eddie are you seeing any cattle still on wheat or have they been pulled off yet well for the most part on the irrigated uh, producers have pulled the uh, livestock off there you know if they're planning on harvesting it or utilizing it for insurance purposes has to everything needed to be off there by march 15th so they're uh, getting the livestock off there starting irrigation back on it if it is irrigated and get it back to growing try to try to get a grain crop or establish the cover crop to plant into thanks eddie that's eddie griffiths from lubbock 
Registration is now open for an event that allows birders access onto some private lands in South Texas to see some of the unique species that call Texas home. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And hypothermia is not uncommon in calves born during the winter. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Hypothermia is not uncommon in calves born during the cold winter months. Dr. Bob Judd says it can affect calf survival rates. It is important to have a plan to determine how to treat calves born in the cold with a low body temperature. Dr. Lindsay Wachter-Mead indicates at Bovine Veterinarian that in 2007, one report determined over 25% of calves less than three weeks old that did not survive died due to the weather. Difficulty during birth can have a detrimental effect on calf health as the contractions of the cow decrease oxygen flow to the calf and extended time in the birth canal leads to critical low levels of oxygen. The lack of oxygen and the increase in carbon dioxide causes a low blood pH or acidosis to occur and leads to weak calf syndrome in which calves do not shiver causing hypothermia. Hypothermic calves lack a suckle reflex and fail to ingest adequate colostrum. To treat these calves, the first step is to determine they are hypothermic as quickly as possible and any calf with a body temperature of 101 degrees Fahrenheit or less should be treated. Administering colostrum is the first step in warming the calf, and this may need to be given with a feeding tube if the calf cannot nurse but can sit sternal. External warming can be done by using a commercial warming hut or even just putting the calf in the floorboard of your truck with the heater on. Heat lamps can also be helpful, but make sure and monitor the calf as the calf can get too hot. Preventing calves from developing hypothermia can be accomplished by observing when the calves are born and any calf that is not active as normal or any calf that was born from a difficult birth is at risk for hypothermia. Warming these calves initially before they get cold is much more effective than trying to warm them after hypothermia has already developed. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Registration is now open for an event that allows birders access to some private lands in South Texas. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. In just a few weeks, bird and nature lovers of all skill levels will have the unique opportunity to see birds like golden-cheeked warblers, black-capped vireos, indigo and painted buntings, and more. Texas A&M AgriLife's Birding the Border will be held April 27th through the 30th in Kinney and Valverde counties. The event includes educational seminars, workshops, and birding trips to a mix of private, restricted access, and public lands. Emily Grant, Birding with Extension Program Coordinator, joins us with more. 
Burning the Border is an opportunity for us to connect birders and private landowners. With majority of land in Texas being privately owned, it is challenging sometimes for people who live in urban areas to see the beauty of our natural resources. And so that's how we kind of feel about some of our birders who want to see some unique species in Texas. But when most of that land's private, it's difficult for them to have the opportunity to experience that. It gives us an opportunity to provide our landowners with an additional source of revenue for their property and educate our birders about the agriculture industry and what our landowners are doing to be stewards of the land and conserve our natural resources and and work with the land, not against it. The deadline to register for birding the border is April 14th. Grant urges those interested to register as soon as possible as space is limited. You can register at wildlife.tamu.edu. There's a link on the right-hand side of the page that says Birding the Border. Again, that is wildlife.tamu.edu. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It was another down day for the cattle futures market on Tuesday, but cotton and grains managed to close slightly higher. We'll check out all the Tuesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another down day for the cattle complex on Tuesday. Red ink for both live and feeder cattle. April live cattle dropped another 50 cents, 163.05. The June down 45 at 157.75. With August live cattle down 55, 157.57. Feeder market dropped even lower. March feeders down 90 cents, 189.82. April feeder cattle down $1.32 at 195.75. The May contract down $1.10 at 201.30. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Tuesday. Feedlots here in Texas asking 166 and better this week. Boxed beef prices were higher Tuesday. Choice up $1.24, 286.10. Select up $1.72 at 275.34. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. You know, neighbor, we have opportunities to purchase cattle each day across the state. Let's look at two. Let's go to Giddings. Phil, Brock, and Bush, what do you have to offer us today? I was looking pretty good, Larry. We got probably 800 in right now. Hopefully we'll have around 1,100, probably 200 cows or so. Uh, got a few little old young bears, some half wagyus cows uh four or five of them if anybody's looking for anything like that i uh, got several strings of kids got some good cattle uh i just set a 40 back here come off cows yellows and blacks probably weigh four to six fifty uh they're good there's a set coming tomorrow some wean calves there's 60 of them they'll be yellows and blacks uh they'll probably weigh somewhere around six so it's looking good now neighbor let's drop south and west hondo talk to seth crane union commission hondo livestock seth what's your monday sale looking like 
I imagine we're probably going to have 300 or better, Larry, uh, as far as the cow run goes. Probably had 25 palpate cows back there, about 40 cows total. I uh, do have two little young pairs and one young Charlotte bull to test uh, there for tomorrow's sale. As far as Kenneth and Yerlin run, quite a few good calves. I uh, do got one deal of about 40 head of wean calves. Uh, got uh, six or seven nine weight steers there and quite a few little cattle. If anybody's looking for them, the quality is pretty good. Uh, like I say, uh, probably 300, a little better to get it. Hopefully we catch more. And neighbor, I'm sure Phil Brockenbush at Giddings that sells them on Monday surely caught some more cattle. And I know Seth and his dad, Butter Crane, will catch some more today in Hondo. And hopefully later in the week, we'll report on how those two livestock auctions ended up selling cattle. Because that's what we do each and every day right here on Walking the Pens and the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs finished lower on Tuesday. April hogs dropped 82 cents to close at 85.40. The May contract down 87 at 93.70. Class 3 milk took a nice jump higher. March milk up 12 cents, 17.90 a hundredweight. The April contract up 59 cents, finishing the day at 18.37 a hundred. The cotton market traded higher earlier in the session as the stock market took a nice jump early in the day. But as that stock market jump wore off, so did cotton prices. We managed to close slightly higher with the May contract up 19 points, 81.37. July cotton up 28 at 81.93. New crop December up 40 points at 82.66 cents. The corn market got a boost from an export sale, USDA announcing 24.1 million bushels of U.S. corn sold to China. That helped corn prices with May corn up seven and a quarter, six twenty and three quarters, September corn up three and three quarters, five sixty-seven and a half. Nice double digit gain in the wheat market, mainly coming on crop conditions. USDA released their latest crop condition report on Monday, and it showed the Oklahoma and Texas crop continuing to decline. In fact, here in Texas, fifty percent of our wheat crop rated poor to very poor. The market reacting to that with July Kansas City wheat up 15 and three quarters, 805 and a half. July Chicago wheat up 11 and a quarter, 706 and three quarters. In the energy markets, April natural gas was down two cents at 257. April West Texas crude down 356, 7124 a barrel. The financial market slightly higher Tuesday afternoon. The Dow up 70 points at 31,889. The NASDAQ up 122 at 11,311. The S&P up 27, 3,883. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.